Well, today we are focusing on the first word that Christians traditionally focus on in the Advent season, and that word is hope. So today we light the hope candle, and we're turning to Isaiah 64 as we consider the hope that comes from knowing not only that our Savior came, but that he is coming again. So Isaiah 64 In our fold groups, we read through verse 9. We're actually going to read the whole chapter this morning. Isaiah chapter 64, starting in verse 1. The prophet Isaiah is speaking on behalf of the people of Israel. And he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Look on us, we pray, for we are all your people. Your sacred cities have become a wasteland. Even Zion is a wasteland, Jerusalem a desolation. Our holy and glorious temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned with fire. And all that we treasured lies in ruins. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? Hope, right? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your presence here with us today. We thank you for the truth that we get to sing and the encouragement of worshiping with your people and hearing truth sung around us and over us. And today, as we come to your word, considering what it means to hope in you, would you speak to us? God, what is from me or my ideas or perspectives, let it be noticed and rejected but what is faithful to your word, let it plant itself deeply in our hearts that we would be formed by your Holy Spirit through your word. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So this next section is going to seem kind of like review for some of you who've been here for a while. It's going to be information that you're familiar with, um, but I promise I'm making appointment, but, so just roll with me. Um, when I was like eight years old, I knew exactly where life was going. I had a plan. I could see it. I knew exactly what was going to happen. It was obvious I was going to be a cowboy. Um, I mean, I already had the boots. I wore them everywhere. I had the hat. I wore the toy gun all the time. I was going to be a cowboy. Why in the world wouldn't I be a cowboy? In fact, I was going to be half a cowboy. I was going to spend half my time on a ranch wrangling doggies. And I was going to spend the other half of my time in movies portraying cowboys. 
right? Because why not? Everybody says you can be anything, right? I could see it. I couldn't imagine a way it wouldn't happen. Now, obviously it didn't. I am not a cowboy, nor have I been in a movie yet (laughs) portraying a cowboy. Maybe someday. When I was probably 15, I could see exactly where life was going. I mean, I knew it. First off, I'd be shopping at Hot Topic and PacSun forever. That's where I'd buy all my clothes. I haven't been in a Hot Topic in 10 years, but that's where I've wanted to buy everything. Um, Circa skate shoes were going to stay in style forever. Y'all remember Circa's? Anybody? Where, where are the real ones at? Okay. Yeah, you remember the shoes that had like four-inch thick tongues, right? One time my mom ran over my foot with a car on accident. I had Circa's on. Saved my foot. <laughs> Wonderful invention, not in style anymore. But my metal band was going to take off. We were going to be one of the like five people on earth who can make a living touring as a metal musician. It was going to be awesome. And to do that, we were all going to magically become good musicians somehow. So that was going to happen. I was probably going to get way better at skateboarding on the side, going to be in videos. It was going to be awesome. Once again, didn't happen. Did not make it in a metal band. Did not become a magically better musician. Uh, One person in our band is still in music. The rest of us are doing other things. When I was 20, 21, 22, I could see exactly where life was going to go. I knew it. I'd studied youth ministry in college. Got my first job as a youth pastor in South Dakota. And I was going to do youth ministry. I mean, maybe not for my career, for like the whole career. I wasn't saying I was going to retire as a youth pastor, but I was going to stick it out. I remember thinking, if you grew up in church and in youth group, you might know this. Youth pastors have a horrible reputation of being somewhere for two years or a year and a half or six months and just bouncing around. And I wasn't going to do that. I was going to stick it out. I was going to stay at the same church. I was going to make an impact with these same students. That's what I was going to do. Because I was going to leave a legacy of commitment in this place. Two years later, God called us to Michigan. Four years after that, I left youth ministry. In 2020, I finally knew how life was going to (laughs) go. Yeah. I finally had it. I knew where we were going to live. I knew who we were going to serve with. I knew exactly what we were going to be doing. God had made it so clear where we were going. And then we all lived a sci-fi movie for three months. You remember that? That happened. Now, you probably noticed a pattern, and the pattern is either that I'm really bad at planning or that life just often doesn't go according to plan. I would venture to say that most of us in this room, maybe not all, but most of us, have experienced a point in life or maybe a pattern in life where things have not gone the way we thought. doesn't even mean things went bad necessarily, but things just haven't turned out the way we thought they would. We knew when we were going to get married or how many kids we were going to have or what job we were going to work or where we were going to live, and none of that played out the way that we thought it would. I would venture to say all of us have at least had some sort of well-laid plan go awry have at least been caught off guard by something in life. When we talk about hope, we often talk about it in terms of things that are going to happen. 
You ask a kid, what do you hope to be when you grow up? What are you hoping for in the next year? Where do you, how do you hope your life turns out? Now, most of us know that hope isn't just things that happen. But when we think about hope, we almost always think about what's going to happen, where things are going to go in my life, how things are going to turn out. Why do I have hope? Because I think things are going to turn out this way, or I think things are going to turn out that way. What happens when I lose hope? I'm not convinced things are going to work out. It's a prediction of the future. It's the way the plans are going to unfold. Now, what I want to tell you this morning first is not revolutionary. I'm not the first person to say it. I won't be the last person to say it. And it's the type of thing that we all know, but that we don't know. When our hope rests on a specific outcome, our hope is incredibly fragile. Now, that's not to say that hoping for a thing is bad. Goals and plans are wonderful things. But we live in a world that evaluates itself based on outcomes, based on where we wind up. We all know it now. It's a trope. But we still look at social media and we see other people's vacations and other people's houses and other people's families. And have you noticed that there is now a way you can be a social, in, social media influencer by saying, I'm showing you the real thing? <laughs> have, you no- have you noticed that? Like you can be a social media influencer and build your life online and just show people like a dirty room every once in a while, right? Even though you're still building your life on the internet. Um, Our whole world evaluates things based on how they go, how it's going to turn out, which is a very fragile hope. So this is the big idea this morning. It's simple. Once again, it's not revolutionary. But it's this. The difference between being hopeful and being hopeless is where you're looking. The difference between being hopeful and hopeless is where you're looking. It's where your eyes are. Now, this is where it would make a lot of sense for me to just say, so keep your eyes on Jesus, have a good week. Right? Because that's one of those things that's like sort of true. It's true enough to make it on a bumper sticker. It's true enough to get an amen in a sermon. It's not really true enough to live, but it's true enough to make a good quip a good one-liner, to make a good tweet. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. But if I could be honest with you, most of the times in my life where I have felt hopeless, I haven't taken my eyes off of Jesus. It wasn't because I wasn't paying attention to the Lord or quit praying and reading my Bible. (laughs) That's interesting. This passage of Scripture seems fairly hopeless. This passage of scripture falls late in the book of Isaiah when the prophet is talking about the remnant of God's people that he will protect and he will sustain. And he's, he's talking about the uh, suffering servant that will come that we now know is Jesus that will come and, and save the people of Israel. And he's talking about the future of the wicked, but the future of the remnant. And Isaiah here seems to be speaking on behalf of God's people who are waiting to be saved. And it's supposed to be about hope, but you'll notice that this chapter we just read seems kind of dark. 
doesn't seem very hopeful. But also, in this chapter, they didn't take their eyes off of the Lord. Did you notice that? They're actually talking to the Lord while they're talking about their difficult situation where they can't imagine a hopeful future. They're talking to the Lord while they say that. And I was shocked this week as I was preparing for this message how much this chapter perfectly maps over my own prayers when I am frustrated and in a dark season in life. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. God, would you just do something? God, would you please do a miracle again? I know you've done them in the past. God, I know you can. I know you can do miracles, but I'm having a really hard time believing you're ever going to do one again. So please, I will trust you for this thing if you'll just show me something, God. I know you can. I know you're real. Yes, you are the God who answers the prayers of those who cry out to him. That's who you are. So answer my prayers, God. I know that you're the only God who actually responds. You just don't seem to be a God who's responding to me right now. I know you respond to the righteous, so I must be unrighteous. I know my sins have piled up. God, I know that I'm just, I'm a failure. It's my fault. If I were you, I wouldn't respond to me either. I would turn my face away from me. I know my sins. I know I have fallen short. God, please, you're the potter. I'm the clay. You're the father. I don't see how this is going to work out. Maybe I don't even deserve for this to work out. It seems like everything's falling apart. Maybe I'm the only one who's ever prayed something like that. Maybe this sermon is just for me, but if I were a betting person, I'd say probably not. Which, if there's nothing else that we get from this morning, knowing that this is in the Bible is valuable. If the only thing you walk away from this morning is knowing that the people of Israel cried this out to God and he didn't smite them, then that's good. That's good enough. Because God can handle our moments of frustration. He can handle it when we look at him. And even though we know he's here with us and he hasn't failed us, we say, God, it feels like you failed us. He can handle that. When we are in seasons of struggle, struggle with sin, struggle with finances, struggle with health, when we're in difficult seasons of life, one of our most consistent temptations is to begin to evaluate our life based on the moment that we're in rather than the story of our lives. We begin to interpret the story of our lives based on the scene that we're living instead of interpreting the scene that we're living based on the story of our lives. You see this temptation all through Scripture. You see it over and over and over again as people, main characters, primary characters in scripture struggle and they seem to forget what God did in the past. They seem to look at this moment and say, God, see, you're never going to come through. See, you failed me. I knew it was going to happen. It's a really, really common temptation that we often face to look at this moment and evaluate the whole story based on this moment rather than looking at the whole story and evaluating this moment based on the whole story. When we struggle with sin, it often looks something like this. Maybe you've struggled, maybe you've got a sin struggle that you've been a whole day or a whole week or six months without doing that thing 
and you caved, you finally did that thing again, and you start to feel like nothing ever changed. That six months or that week or that day was wasted. Nothing ever changed and nothing's ever going to get better. And then you start to look at God and say, well, why would you answer my prayers? Look at me. Look at my life. Look at the pattern of my, nothing's ever changed. Obviously, you're the God who responds to the righteous. Well, look at me. Obviously, you're not going to answer my prayers, God. You begin to interpret the story, interpret the future and the past based on this moment. Or sometimes it works the opposite direction. And we'll go through a season where it feels like God is really distant. I've said this before. I want to say it again. There is a Christian term coined by the poet St. John of the Cross in, I believe, the 15th century called the dark night of the soul. It is so common in the Christian experience, there's poetry about it. The seasons where you feel that God is distant is not unique to you. And I don't say that to say get over it. I say that to say this doesn't define you. It won't last. It's a common experience for those of us who follow Jesus as we go through these seasons of distance. But when we're in this season where it feels like God isn't listening, where it feels like God has turned his face away, you know what? I feel like I shouldn't move on yet. Mother Teresa, none of us are going to look at Mother Teresa and be like, yeah, she wasn't close to God. Mother Teresa said that she never in her life felt the presence of God. Some of us have had that experience in worship where you get tingles and chills up your spine and you cry and stuff like that. Mother Teresa cried out to God often. People went back and read her journals, and one of the most consistent things that she says is, just God, just give me something. I say that to say when you feel distant, that's not abnormal. The feeling of being distant is not something to ignore or pretend like it doesn't exist, but it doesn't mean you are distant. Okay, it's common to the Christian experience. But when we are in these seasons of distance, we can often then begin to look at our lives and say, well, God's not answering my prayers, so I must be a failure. I must have have sinned and not even known it. I must be I must be doing something to deserve God's absence in my life. Or sometimes it has nothing to do with a sin. Maybe we're struggling with mental illness, physical illness. We're in a financially difficult season. You're just in a season of struggle, not necessarily related to some, some sin or something like that. And you can't figure out why you're in this season, which means you can't imagine a way out of this season. I don't know why I feel this way, God. Life shouldn't be this hard. The math does not add up to me not wanting to get out of bed this morning. But I still didn't. We can't figure out how we got in, so we can't imagine a way to get out. We begin to evaluate. And listen, I want you to know it is a normal, common experience of being human. There is a temptation here that needs to be identified. And that is that when I say we need to evaluate this moment based on the story of life rather than the story of life by this moment, there's a temptation for some of us to go, man, I've been failing this whole time. I'm the worst. I've been evaluating wrong. That's not what I'm telling you to do. What I'm telling you is that we live a story of God's redemption. And this is a scene in the story. But when you read a book, 
You don't interpret the whole book based on one scene. When you watch a movie, you don't interpret the whole movie based on one scene, but the whole story interprets the scene. And it's hard to hold those things in tension. The people of Israel are crying out to God, and they feel distant, and they feel separate. But the very next verses, I want to read you the first couple of verses of Isaiah 65, because this is God's response to the people of Israel. And at the end of the chapter, he talks about the destiny of the wicked and the destiny of the righteous. But the first thing he says is this. He says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I. Here am I. All day long, I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good. Do you see what God's response to the people in the moment is? It's to remind them of the story. Right now, it feels like I'm not paying attention, but I've been paying attention all along. Right now, it feels like I haven't answered your prayer, but I answered it then. So I'll answer it now. Right now it feels like because of your sin, I'm not near to you, but I'm the one who called you in your sin. The story interprets the moment. The moment doesn't interpret the story. Our hope is found in where we're looking. And what we are looking at is not just in some cliche way keeping our eyes on Jesus but looking at the pattern of his redemption in our lives, looking at the pattern of his intervention in our lives, so that even though in this moment I can't imagine a way out, I remember the last time I couldn't imagine a way out. And listen, this is very important. That doesn't mean you're going to feel a lot better. It just means you have an anchor in the difficulty. It does not mean the emotions are going to go away, but it means that you have an anchor point. You have something solid that you can look at and say, God didn't fail me last time, so I have good reason to believe he won't fail me this time. And listen, this is why a church is so important, because the church is instructed in the New Testament to share one another's burdens. And if I had to guess, I would say there are people in this room who are going through something in life, and you're having a really hard time feeling hopeful, and you're having a really hard time looking at the rest of the story, and you need someone who knows you and loves you to say, I've seen your story. Here's where I've seen the hope in the past. You need someone in your life to say, I know it doesn't feel hopeful in your story, but here's what God did in my life. You need someone else who can have faith on your behalf. That's what the scriptures mean when they say to share, to carry one another's burdens. That in the moments where I say, I, have, I cannot feel any hope, that you would say, I will have hope for you. I will testify to God's faithfulness. Let me tell you the whole story because I know you can't see past the scene that you're in. This is what it means for us to cling to hope. Christians are not people with a petty, naive optimism. Christians are not people who are just good at making lemonade out of lemons. Christians are people who look at the world with honesty and say, even though I can't imagine a redemption, the Redeemer came and he will come again. This is why hope is one of the words we focus on in Advent. 
because what was prophesied in Isaiah, in the later chapters of Isaiah, was Jesus coming. Do you know what no one planned for? Jesus coming. Do you know the Savior that no one expected? It was Jesus. No one wrote into their plans a Savior coming, born of a virgin, to die for our sins. They had planned for a Savior with a sword to come and free them for their oppressors. They could not have expected this. Their hope did not come in a specific outcome. Their hope came in the story of redemption. And we celebrated Advent that because we know he came, we know he will come again. Because he was faithful in the past, he will be faithful in the future. Because he was faithful to you, he will be faithful to me. We celebrate the story. In just a moment, we're going to spend a few moments of silence. If you were here last week, you know that each week during this series, we're going to spend five minutes of silence and introspection to ensure we are carving out sacred space in this season. But before we do, I just want you to know this. Today, if you are struggling with some sort of sin, some specific sin pattern, and you're looking at your life and you're saying, of course God wouldn't answer my prayers. I, I, haven't, I haven't gotten any victory over this. I haven't defeated it yet. I want you to know that God is looking at you and he's saying, you didn't defeat it the first time. He chose you. He called you. He died for you in your sin because he was the one who could defeat your sin. So the path to victory is surrender to his transforming work in your life. Because you can't, you couldn't defeat it then and you can't defeat it now. I don't tell you that to bum you out. I tell you that to say, yeah, you failed again. Jesus didn't forgive you on the condition you wouldn't fail again. Jesus forgave you because you couldn't earn forgiveness. He had to give it to you. And he gave it to you so that he could form you. And he could bring victory into your life over that. And he will slowly form your heart. If you're in a situation in life right now that you cannot imagine a way out of, And I want to invite you to look to the stories of God's faithfulness in your life, in the lives of the people that you love, in the lives of the people around you, to remember that God was faithful before, and he will be faithful during, and he will be faithful after. The story is of his redemption and his faithfulness, and the story defines the scene the scene doesn't interpret the story. So there are two questions I want to invite you to consider as we spend five minutes in silence to end our time of teaching. The first is where have you been looking? Have you been looking at this scene you're in in life to try to find hope? Have you been looking for a specific outcome? Is that where your hope has been anchored? Where have you been looking? And the second question I want you to ask, to consider, journal, write it in your phone, take time to process this, is where has God been faithful? Where have you seen God's faithfulness? And if you're in a a time in life right now where you can't imagine God's faithfulness, I want to invite you, find your fold group leader, find a friend. I'm going to be standing in the back, come talk to me. Maybe you need a testimony of someone's faithfulness. Maybe you need a testimony of God's faithfulness. 
And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I don't have the hope of Jesus in my life. I don't know what that's like, but I want it. I want you to know that the hope of Jesus is available to you. If you would call out to him. I would love to talk to you about that. You do not have to live without the hope of Jesus. It is available to you. I'm going to be in the back if you want to come talk. You don't even have to walk up in front of everybody and do that awkward thing. You can just make people think you're getting coffee and walk to the back. No one will be looking. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to spend five minutes in the awkward silence of introspection. Jesus, we love you. You are the anchor point of our hope. We have hope because you came. We know that you are coming again. God, I ask now that you would gently open our eyes to show us where we have been looking. And you would gently open our eyes to see where you have been faithful. That we would find our hope in your story of redemption. We love you, Jesus. Amen.